from Studio 1Z, with the latest news, commentary, and weather, it's the KZRG Morning News Watch on News Talk KZRG. FM 102.9, 105.9 AM 1310 on your smart speakers. News Talk KZRG, Peter Thiel. Steve Scott. And Ted Bohorquez. He is, uh, well, he's a man uh, among men, uh, an author, TV writer, uh, former radio talk show host, and a longtime friend, Doug McIntyre. You're on KZRG. Good morning, Doug. How are you? Good morning, gang. And listen, clearly that resume speaks of a man who can't hold a job. Yeah, it's okay. You held one for, what, 25 years, pretty much at the same station? Yeah, KBC, uh, and now doing a little bit of uh, occasional work at KFI, which came as a big shock to me, you and know, probably to them. Well, I'll tell you what, Robin Bertolucci is one of the greatest people in the world, so it's... Uh, well, it's, uh, it's kind of fun to do it uh, after four and a half years of... Uh, of being on the sidelines of retirement and not expecting to be on the air again, and all of a sudden to get a call from KFI and Robin was really great, and it's it's been fun actually. Well, good. Well, you uh, so during, you're not like uh, no rest for the weary here. You've been uh, you just pumped out a book called Frank's Shadow. Tell us about it, Doug McIntyre. Well, first thing I'm going to tell you about it is it wasn't exact. It was a slow working pump because I started it in 1998, so it took me 25 years. Literally, uh, to, to finish the book, uh, the book uh, star, was really born, the idea of it, the night that Frank Sinatra died, which, uh, unrelated but coincidentally, was the final night of Seinfeld. So the whole country was talking about the last episode of Seinfeld, and then in the morning they found out that Frank Sinatra had died the night before. Now, uh, I had a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, whose dad died the exact same night, and that's where the concept came from how one death is satellite news ricocheting around the globe and the other death is in the back of the paper by the mattress ads and we had to pay to put them there, right? Yep. So, so uh, it started out kind of as a story about the nature of, of fame and how we value lives uh, in a media-obsessed society. And I, I created a character, Danny McKenna, who's this sort of besotted history professor who goes home to bury his dad and he realizes he knows everything about the famous singer and almost nothing of substance about his own silent Sam, Irish immigrant, World War II veteran father. And that's really where the, uh, the story came from. And, uh, you know, I wanted him to uncover a family secret, a big, deep, dark family secret that, that uh, changes his perception of his dad and, in fact, his own life. And that's what held me up, because everything I came up with was either stolen or, or, or awful or both, uh, until I finally... The light bulb went off, and then I couldn't wait to get to the book. So for the last four years, that's pretty much what I've been doing, and now here it is. Frankshadow.com. You know, it's interesting. I have gone down. Now, you know, now everyone, Doug McIntyre's written scripts for TV series, for all this sort of stuff. Uh, I am a ham and egger when it comes to writing. I have started like three or four books that I got 10 chapters in, I think a pretty good concept, and then I can't go anywhere with it. So what you're saying is with a project like that, just hold on to it and the genesis and the thing may happen where you can finish it. Well, writing a, a novel was high on my bucket list. It, I, I consider you know, long-form fiction to be the Mount Everest of writing, with the possible exception of a popular song. I mean, because I always marvel when you see 
someone like Billy Joel, and the whole world knows the lyrics to the song. In, in other languages, they, they, they know it in English. Yeah. I think that's a pretty amazing accomplishment. But uh, it was something that I really wanted to do. And I felt that this story, I always believed in this story. I was missing a couple of key plot points. But uh, once I, I knew what I was doing, then it came pretty quickly. So I do believe that if you, if you really, if you have an idea, and it doesn't matter what it is, I mean, it could be opening a business, it could be, you know, whatever, whatever your dream is, if you, if you really believe in it, don't walk away from it because it could happen. I mean, you're going to have to do the work, but if you keep it alive and you really believe in it, it can happen. And certainly after 25 years, I mean, I've joked that, not much of a joke, but whatever is said about me as a novelist, prolific is probably not going to be one of them because I got to pick up the pace if there's going to be a second book. Otherwise, it'd be 190 when it comes out. It's Doug McIntyre, FranksShadow.com. Now, it's uh, you know going through the the. Pro- Did you ever meet Sinatra? No, I knew I knew Frank Jr. and I knew a lot of his sidemen. I knew Bill Miller, who played piano for him for 50 years. That's Bill's tinkling piano on "Once My Baby" and quarter to three and no one in the place except you and me. And I knew a lot of his guitarists and just Alveola for many, many years. So I knew a lot of the guys uh, who played with him. Uh, Bill Richmond was a great drummer and also wrote The Nutty Professor for Jerry Lewis. He had a really interesting career. So I, 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 I collected Sinatra stories and I saw him perform, I think, eight or nine times. Uh, so, so I was a real Sinatra freak, which was unusual because, you know, at my age, I really should have been a rock and roll kid. But my brother was a drummer in a rock band. And uh, to this day, if I hear Hey Jude, I break out in hives because he played that song so many times that he wore the record out twice, literally. There were no grooves in the middle of the record. Uh, so, so I was kind of a musical oddball. But, um, but I just, the book is really not about Frank Sinatra. He's a presence in it, but he's a parallel life. It's a father-son story. It's a family story, which I think gives it some universal appeal. Because I think, uh, you know, we all, it's about dealing with secrets. Both the secrets that parents keep from children and the secrets that children keep from their parents. I mean, when we're little kids, or teenagers even more so, we're constantly trying to hide what we're up to from our parents. And our parents have whitewashed their childhoods as well. They don't want to talk about the time they got drunk and uh, wrecked the car either So when they were 17. So that's kind of what the book is about, is about a father and a son and a family dealing the cards face up, truthfully, and, and how it actually enhances love and brings people closer together the quicker you can get to the truth. So... It's really, that's what the story is. And Sinatra is in the book only as a parallel life because he and the father, Francis X. McKenna, had a parallel life. And you, you sort of witness how one person has this rocket to fame and adulation and the other one basically has to struggle through life. It's, uh, I can't help but ask you a, a couple of questions around this. I asked uh, your lovely wife yesterday. Um, you're a member of the Writers Guild. Yes. You're on strike. And, and, and after, and, and SAG after, actually. And so you're on strike uh, in a number of different ways. And a lot of people, they, they, they're not writers for TV shows. They, they, they consume movies and uh, streaming shows and all that sort of stuff. Uh, what are the issues in this that 
we should understand about writers like you? Well, uh, you know, writers in Hollywood have always been at the bottom of the caste system. It's exactly the opposite of theater. You know, you go to Broadway, and it was always Neil Simon, the odd couple. Uh, it was Tennessee Williams, the glass menagerie. It was, the, you know, uh, so, so uh, the, the playwright was the, the top of the food chain. But uh, in Hollywood, it was the directors. It was D.W. Griffith, you know, Birth of a Nation. And, uh, and then Charlie Chaplin came along, and they realized the guy with the derby and the little mustache sells a lot of tickets. So the star system was born. And the writers really didn't come along until the sound, they didn't become significantly important until the development of the sound motion picture in the 20s. But as a result, it never changed the, the, that, that the writers, projects originate with writers almost always. Somebody sits down and comes up with an idea and creates a memorable uh, character and a memorable plot and dialogue. Uh, and with, as they say, if it ain't on the page, it ain't on the stage. But the, the, the culture of, of television and film usually keeps the writer barefoot and pregnant, to use an old-fashioned expression. Uh, it's gotten much more complicated now because with the uh, mega-mergers of these giant corporations, you know, there was a time when Paramount Pictures made movies, and if the movie was a hit, they made money. If the movie was a turkey, they lost money. But now, you know, Paramount Pictures got bought by Gulf and Western, and Gulf and Western sold it to some other megalopolis, and it just keeps going so that the film studios and the television networks are just one piece of a giant portfolio, corporate portfolio, and maybe not a particularly important piece. That's certainly the case with Amazon uh, and Apple, who are producers. They're now studios. But, you know, Amazon sells everything. They sell paper towels. They sell my book. You know, they sell... They sell golf ball. So, so as a result, uh, they don't have a, a colleague relationship with the performers and the creators of content. They just look at it as another item on a flow sheet. And it, it, there are unique aspects to the work that's done to create a television series or a, uh, a, a motion picture. And currently, the logjam is the technology is changing things, including AI, is changing so fast that I don't even think that the producers' organization, the AMPTP, knows what they want to accomplish with this work stoppage. They definitely created the strike. They started preparing for it a year in advance by cutting the orders of episodes to sort of starve the writers and the actors before the contract even came up. There was much less work for everybody. And then when the strike actually hit, of course, they're in a very weak position for a long holdout. But I think everybody, not just in Hollywood, but basically labor in America is starting to realize that there's an imbalance between the giant corporations and the American people who are working for a living. Uh, and especially with the introduction of AI, which is going to have a massive impact in every walk of life, not just in the entertainment industry, but in every walk of life. So I think that the battle is a very long-winded answer, by the way, but it, 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 it's a tough issue because I don't think it's apparent outside of Hollywood yet how big an issue AI is going to be down the road. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot here. Well, I'm out of time, but it's frankshadow.com. 
Doug McIntyre. Doug, by the way, you know, just uh, text me anytime you want to come on. I'll have you on. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. You can also get the book at Amazon.com and Barnes and & Noble. And, of course, my website. You can get signed copies at DougMcIntyre.com. Excellent. Doug McIntyre, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. It's Doug McIntyre, everybody. FrankShadow.com. Check it out. News Talk KZRG.